0: It. Take your Bibles. Turn with me to the book of James chapter three. And before we get started today, as you're turning there, as you're finding your place, either in your Bible or maybe you um, have it on your app or if you don't have a Bible or have a way to find an app real fast or, you online know, real fast on your phone or tablet. You can grab a Bible that's right in front of you and it'll be from the version that I'm reading from. But as we're getting prepared today, I want you to do something with me. I want to start by you helping me out a little bit. I'm going to say something. and I need you to repeat it back to me. OK. And so uh, we, we used to call this responsive reading in some ways in Baptist churches. It's not really that because we're not going to do anything super spiritual here, but I'm just going to say something. You're going to repeat it back to me. You got it? got it. Three of you do. Good. All right. Here we go. So just say it back to me. Right. This sermon is for me. All right, we're going to say it again, all right? This sermon is for me. And I want you to repeat this. This sermon is not for my spouse, significant other, co worker, friend, person sitting next to me, neighbor, person I know down the street. All of the above, right? This is for me. Now, I want to tell you something. As I was preparing the sermon this week, as I was looking through it, I actually wrote at the top of my notes for myself this week, this sermon is for me. And what is easy to do when we hear a sermon, especially about one that can hit close to home, is it's real easy to begin to make that list in our minds of other people that we wish were here or that need to hear or I hope they're listening, right? Right? It's real easy to do that, to get that list together and think, man, my husband ought to be hearing this or my wife better be listening right now or I am so sad that my friend missed because today is the day they needed to be here. (laughs) And while there may be truth to that and afterwards today maybe you do think, man, I need so-and-so to hear that or I'd love for them to do it and you can point them to the app or the podcast or whatever. For the next hour and a half, or 25 minutes, <laughs> all right? This is for me. And I want you to think of that as we read through this passage. This is going to be, this is one of those sermons that that is prepared this week as well. James gives me all the illustrations. So a lot of times I spend time trying to think about illustrations, and it's amazing that 2,000 years ago he wrote a book that the illustrations are just as applicable today as they were then. About a subject That's difficult for all of us, because today we're going to talk about how we use our words. And James has already said something about this. If you were here a few weeks ago in James chapter one, verse 19, he told us to be quick to listen and slow to speak. Quick to listen, hurry to listen, run up to listen and then slow to say something back. We live in a culture that is, no, 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 be reactionary. Be thinking of what you're going to say while the other person's talking. Be ready to fight back. Stand your ground. So James has already begun to build that pattern throughout this book. And he's going to give us a more in-depth discussion about it. And here's why it's so important, according to James, that we be quick to listen and slow to speak. Because God has given us a pause button when it comes to our words, but he hasn't given us a rewind. And a lot of us would like to have a rewind on words we use sometimes, right? Like, you wish you could just, hey, let me just back that up. Let me just hit that 30 seconds ago button. Erase what just happened. But he doesn't. He does give us a pause button to be able to say, wait a minute, let me think before I say something James wants us to realize that what we say speaks deeply about who we are. Now it's also important because we talk a lot. The average person, this is not the person that doesn't say anything or the person that talks all the time. The average person right there in the middle spends 20% of their lives talking. If you take out the sleeping hours that we're supposed to get, the average person spends somewhere around 30% of their life talking. They're 30% of their waking hours. If the average person were to have every word they said written down into a book every day, there would be 50 pages of their writing from their words every day. At the end of a year, the average person speaks the equivalent of 132 books, 200 pages each. And by the end of your life, the average person will have written with their words 2.2 million pages. We talk a lot. Now, somebody says, well, listen, if you put everything I said into a book, it wouldn't be like five books for my whole life. And somebody else says, mine doesn't have a library that would fill up with what I've got, right? Now, understand, I'm not talking about the extremes. I'm just talking about in the middle. And because of that, we know that this is an important issue. And as James is going to talk about, it's the most difficult issue for us to control. James chapter three, starting in verse one. Not many should become teachers, my brothers, because you know that we will receive a stricter judgment. So he's starting this passage by saying, listen, you just talked about faith and works you're here last week. If you weren't, go back and listen to the last week. Go to the website and find the the place that where the videos are up and go watch it. But we talked about the difference between faith and works and that we don't have works to save us, but that our works ought to show that we've been saved. And he says, when you're doing that, when you're walking in faith, be careful about what you wish for. And then he says this statement at the end, whether you're teachers, whether you've never taught in the church, whether you're investigating this thing to be true or not. He says, for we all stumble in many ways. All of God's people said. Now, we mess up in lots of ways. There are lots of ways in my life that I mess up. Lots of things in my life that I have problems with. Lots of things in my life where sin invades. Lots of things in my life where I can do better. Where I can grow more to be like Christ. Where God is working on me. He says all of us have that. But, and this is his whole point through this whole passage. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is mature and he's able also to control the whole body. We're going to stay there for a second. Because the point that he's telling us is, if you can gain control of your mouth, you can stay out of almost all trouble. Anybody ever said that your mouth is getting you in trouble right now? That's <laughs> right. If we can stop, pause, and think about what we're saying, if we can control our tongue, then... We could keep ourselves from all kinds of issues, all kinds of problems, all sorts of evil. The way he says it is, you could be mature and have control of the whole body. And he says, you want some examples? All right, I'll give you some examples. These are the illustrations he gives. The first one is this. Now, if we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we direct their whole bodies. You think about a horse. It is a majestic creature, right? Right? When I was growing up, my friend Stephen had a horse for a short period of time. We lived out in the country, in the suburbs of Dyersburg. Y'all think Dyersburg's the country. I lived in the country outside the country. Suburbs of Dyersburg, Rose and Cooley drives where we lived. Then off to the side of that, they had a little place where people kept some horses, and he bought a horse. And it was not a thoroughbred. It was not an impressive, it wasn't a quarter horse. It wasn't anything that you would go, man, that is an impressive horse in the horse world. But when you stood next to that thing, it was impressive. And it says, if you put a bit in the mouth of a horse, you can make that horse go wherever it wants to go. I was looking at some information about jockeys the other day. And this is a barrel rider. Notice that I think she is nine years old. Now, she's not a jockey, obviously. She's riding a barrel ride. She's or whatever you call that. She's doing that, cutting it, getting it there. But just think about the reality of this majestic animal being controlled by this little girl cutting it where she needs to, around those barrels, 13 seconds, 14 seconds, going around barrels and sprinting back out. Or I mentioned jockeys. Think about the Kentucky Derby where you've got a horse that weighs 1,200 pounds running 40 miles an hour, and it's being controlled by a guy that the heaviest jockey was 115 pounds last time. You've got this control happening from a bit in the mouth of a horse that makes the horse go whichever way you want it to go. He says that's what the tongue is for us. It controls our direction. He says, or, the next verse, he gives us another illustration. Consider ships. Though very large and driven by fierce winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So too, though the tongue is a small part of the body, it boasts great things. So I've got a drawing of a ship from that era. And you can see, now this is a ship that would have had 200 men. It would have been a huge vessel. In fact, ships outside of buildings were the largest things humans could build when James is writing. 200 people, large masses of cargo that were held under the ship. You can see it goes all the way under the line. 200 people on board. Huge, massive sail on the on the top and a sail on the front. And on the back is this seemingly insignificant little piece there called the rudder. And that piece, the rudder, controls the whole direction of the ship if the rudder gets broken or the rudder goes in a different direction the ship is going to follow if it's broken it is directionless and it's impossible to steer and the point james is making through all this is that this is an insignificant proportionally to the entire boat but it has extraordinary influence on the direction that it is going think about the size of your tongue on average, a tongue is around four inches long. It's not a pretty organ. It has eight muscles. You're going to find this fascinating, I think, and maybe not surprising. But do you know that the muscles in the tongue are some of the only muscles in the human body that never tire? They never wear out. They can go all day long, right? Right? I'm not asking for personal testimonies. I'm not asking for accusations. I'm just saying that that is a scientific reality. And it's seemingly small, but it has great influence on our lives. The next one he says is this. Consider how a fall, small fire sets ablaze a large forest. And the tongue is a fire. The tongue is a a world of unrighteousness is placed among our members. It stains the whole body, sets the course of life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. Now, we'll explain all that in a minute. We're going to stay there. But the point he makes is this, that the spark that comes from the words you speak can cause massive chaos and massive damage. we got a picture of a wildfire next. And we've seen these pictures more than we want to see them in recent years. California, Oregon, Smoky Mountains, Florida. What's amazing is when you trace back, it's always when they trace back the history of these fires, these devastating fires. I was having a conversation with Zach Drake. Some of you remember Zach, of so you may not be aware of Zach. Zach's a church planner in Santa Monica, California, Santa Monica Church. And Zach's other job now, he's not just a pastor. One of his other jobs now is that he is a doorman at one of the most prestigious hotels in Santa Monica, right on the right on the uh, coast. He was talking about when the California wildfire happens in Malibu, all that happened. How many guests they had, famous guests, wealthy guests, who had lost everything in the mountains. They were coming to stay, bringing whatever possessions they could get out, bringing pets and animals to stay because the wildfires were devastating. What's always fascinating to me is all of those fires, when they trace them back, all go back to a single spark. Now, how innocent does that look? compared to that, especially when it goes out like that, right? But you get the point. Jeff told me these are great matches. These are, uh, they light quick and go out fast, all right? And so I'm going to, we're going to like this just for a second, because one of the points I want to make is, maybe that'll last a little longer. One of the points that you want to make is fire in itself is not necessarily destructive, Right? Controlled fire is a very good thing in many circumstances. For instance, a week and a half ago when it was seven outside, I was very glad the controlled fire in my natural gas heater was working. Right? When, I, when I'm out in the backyard with the family and we've got a fire pit and we've got a fire going in the fire pit and we've got s'mores and we're doing all that and family having a great time at your camp, you know, so that's in the backyard for us. Some of you go camping out. We camp out by just mailing a... Small fire in the backyard and going to sleep in our beds because that's how we roll, all right? Some of you like the other stuff. You get out there, you get a fire, it's cold. You want to cook supper, it's great. A controlled environment fire is great when it's under certain conditions. But when it's let free, it burns and destroys. Now the point James makes, and here's the crazy thing for us. This is more applicable to us than it was to them because many of them had never seen what a wildfire really was like. They'd seen some brush fires. They had seen a little fire get out of control and get tampered down. They had never seen anything like the California wildfires. And neither really have we or any human beings around until recently. And so this point that we have here is that this fire that burns in a controlled environment can be good. But when we unleash it without thinking, it can destroy. And our words have potential potential. For endless evil. They can destroy families. They can, they've can they caused wars. As people have had words with one another. And What he says. If you go back to the verse Josh. What he says is. That this fire sets ablaze a large forest. And it stains the whole body. That what happens with your words. Can stain everything about you. You know that to be true. When you're a parent and your child talks back to you. You don't put the mouth in time out. You put the child in time out. When a teenager talks back to you, that never happens. But if it happened, you wouldn't put the mouth in being grounded. You ground the whole body. Nobody's ever divorced a mouth. Even though a mouth may have been what led to the divorce. Nobody's ever fired a mouth. You don't expel a mouth. You expel the person. But our mouths get us in trouble. And it even tells us that it stains not only the whole body, but it can set the course of our life on fire. It can lead down a path of destruction that we can't control. I mean, I could say something up here today with my words that could end my career. You come back next week and Jeff be up here like, well, Brother Lyle's not with us anymore. If you were here last week, you know why. And he said he was sorry, but he ain't never coming back. Right? Like people have ruined their careers by their words. Now, let me just step aside and say, for those of us in living in today, words may not just be what actually comes out of our mouths, but you have to read James' interpretation of this, of not just what comes out of our mouths, but what we type out on our keyboards, what we leave on social media, what we tweet, what we post, what we send in an email, what we send in a text message. The way we respond to one another. We're leaving more record of our conversations than any generation has ever left. And the truth is, some of us have scorched the people in our lives with our words. People that we love. And when people call us on it, when they come back to us or they say something, we defend ourselves with, guess what, more words. I didn't, I didn't mean it. I, I was just being Honest. Somebody had to say it. Well, if you can't handle that, you're going to have a hard time in the rest of the world. It's complicated. But here's the reality: If you start a fire accidentally, you are still responsible for the fire you started. Those California wildfires, those Great the Smoky Mountain. some of those are set intentionally, but if somebody said, "I just I accidentally threw a match down and it started the whole thing," they're still going to hold you responsible for the fire. You started. And he says. That in the midst of that. That our fire from our tongue. That instigates all this. That scorches the earth. Is itself set on fire by hell. That doesn't mean that he's talking about the physical hell there. I don't think. What I think he means is. The seat of our fire in our words. Comes from the source of evil himself. Then he goes on. Not. It's not hard enough already, right? He goes on. Verse 7. Every kind of animal, bird, reptile, and fish is tamed and has been tamed by humankind, but no one can tame the tongue. What he's saying here is not literally that we've domesticated into pets every animal on the earth. But what he's saying is we are at the top of the food chain. We have learned how to get over even animals that are stronger, bigger than us. Example, a horse. Or if you want examples of this, go to the zoo. Whatever else you feel about a zoo, I know some people think they're cruel. Some people love them. They all that stuff. when you get to a zoo, we are the ones that have the zoo. There is no zoo that has us. No lions walking in to look at a zoo of us. Right, He says, we control the most savage of creatures, the most imposing of figures, but no one. Y'all know what the word no one means, right? Those two words together means no one. None of us can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue, we bless our Lord and Father. And with it, we curse people who are made in God's likeness. Blessing and cursing come out of the same mouth. My brothers and sisters, these things should not be this way. He says, our tongues are... Unique in this whole world because what we have is there are times when and it will some of you have done this today There are times when we will praise the lord with the words of our mouth We will come into a place like this. We will sing glories to our father to the son and to the holy ghost We will spend time fellowshiping with each other complimenting with each other encouraging one another And for the first 30 minutes on our way to get here this morning, we were yelling at each other Getting mad at each other Upset with one another Get your shoes on. We have to go to church to praise the Lord. Hypothetically. That out of the same mouth. This afternoon you'll go home and you'll get an email. Or you'll learn about a homework assignment due in the morning. Or you'll get a text message. Or a memory will come back. And you'll say something unkind. Unkind. You'll say something harsh. One of your children will do something to maybe disrupt the flow of what your afternoon ought to be and you'll respond in a way that is unbecoming. Or your mom or dad will tell you to do something you didn't think should be on your agenda for the day and you will respond in a way that is not good. And out of the same mouth will come both blessing and cursing. He goes on to say, does a spring pour over sweet water and bitter water from the same opening? Can a fig tree produce olives, my brothers and sisters, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a saltwater spring yield fresh water. His point is that a plant produces what it is, that a life produces what it is. And these are both examples, no matter what you think in in their world, these would have been examples of worse than what was there. So a fig tree was better than olives and grapes were better than figs, according to them. And so what he's saying is, can a tree that is supposed to produce a sweet fruit produce something salty like an olive? Can something like a fig tree produce what is the sweetest thing, one of the sweetest things we have in grapes? He says that your heart tells us who you are. Now here's what's interesting. That's how he ends this section And he just moves on. He doesn't say, now let me give you three tips to help you figure this out. He just says, it's reality. So what do we do with that? I mean, what do we do? James didn't tell us what to do here. He doesn't say now because of what I've learned, because of what you've learned, here are two things that you ought to do to take care of that in your life. He doesn't stop for a moment and ponder and say, but praise be to God that we have been saved. So our lives have been changed and our mouths have been transformed. He doesn't stop to give us suggestions on what to do next. He just moves on. We're going to move on next week. But for a moment, I want to say, well, what do we do with what we know? And the first thing I want to do is to remind us of two things that he teaches us in this passage that are evident and important for us to understand. And the first is this, that your words are powerful. Our lives have been shaped by what has been spoken to us, over us, or about us. There are some of you in this room who had adults say things about you when you were a child that you still carry with you today. There's some of you in this room that has classmates tell you things when you were a child and now you are 30 years later and it still impacts your life today. There are some of you that your marriages are being shaped by the words that you are using. There are some of you whose self-esteem is being shaped by the words that are spoken to you or words that have already been spoken to you. Some of you here have had a marriage breakup and you are still holding on to the tension that was there and the words that were spoken in the midst of the hostility of that breakup about you. and you cling to them as if they're truth when they were spoken 20 years ago, 10 years ago. And one of the things that I know because I am a parent, because I am a spouse, because I am a friend, is that I never intend or think that the words that I'm going to speak for good or for bad are going to last for 10, 15, or 20 years. But sometimes they do. And I don't get to choose which ones last and which ones don't. You know this in your own life, right? A compliment doesn't automatically do away with a criticism. It takes like ten compliments to one criticism. You know that from your own experience. Things that you hold on to are often not the good things. And that's because words aren't equally weighted. Negative words weigh more than positive words. When negative words impact us more than that. It's because the sources aren't equally weighted. That certain people's words carry more value, carry more weight for you than other people's. In life in general, a parent's word carries more weight than a friend's word. In fact, sociologists, psychologists, all these people tell us that in a relationship that the person's words growing up that carries the most weight in your life and dads, I don't know why it's this way and sometimes I wish it wasn't this way, but the word that carries the most weight in a child's life is a dad's. Like if you're comparing weights, it's like dad's words weigh 1,000 pounds, mom's weighs 750, and friends weigh like 100. Kids, youth, one of the things that you'll never know, adults that have parents that are still with us, one of the things that you'll never know until you are a parent is, your words as a youth, as a teenager, as a twenty something carries more weight in your parent's life than of anybody else but their spouse. No, it's just mom; she'll get over it. No, your words have weight. Wives, you need to understand, that once you're married, nobody's words carry more weight in your husband's life than yours. And you think, man, he's a big, strong man. Guys' egos, the stuff we don't tell people, are very fragile. And a difficult word, a critical word from you can crush. Guys, we have no idea how strong our words can be and the impact they can make. Nobody speaks more powerfully into your spouse, into your wife's life than you. Words that you may not know weigh as much as they do, they do. Our words have power. And not only does the weight of each word differ, not only does the source differ, but the necessary time to recover differs as well. That's why sometimes it's not easy just to say, or it's not enough just to say, Man, I'm sorry. I didn't mean that. And think, Why aren't we back to where we were? Like, I told you I was sorry. That's like if I slammed your hand in the car door and it mangled it. And I went, Man, I'm sorry about that. Didn't mean to do that. Still means you got a mangled hand. Didn't fix everything we need to realize that the most powerful thing that we have control of is our words. Proverbs 18.21 says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue. You know, one of the most difficult things about the society in which we live is we have made it way too easy to say harsh things we made it way too easy for people that aren't ready or willing to accept it to hear harsh things and forgive responsibility to people who aren't ready to deal with or understand the consequences to say harsh things. Not realizing that death and life are in the power of the tongue. Proverbs 12:18. There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, like swords thrusting into us, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Your words are powerful. And I don't mean that in some kind of spiritual Oprah power of words sense. I mean that God has given us the ability to speak life into people's lives. But with that comes responsibility that we also know we can hurt with our words. Second thing we see in this passage. Words show our spiritual maturity. They reveal to us. Our spiritual maturity. I mean, he says that right at the beginning. If you can control your tongue, if you can control your mouth, you can control every part of your body. At the end, that's what the whole thing is about the fresh water and the salt water. The idea is that what your words do is they reveal the character of your heart. Jesus said this in Luke 6, 45. He says, good comes out of the treasure of a good heart. And that evil comes out of the treasure of an evil heart. And then he says, for out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. The idea is what comes from within comes out of our mouth. He says, it's not what goes into a body that makes it unclean. It is what comes out of the body. For out of your heart speaks who you are. And when your life is filled with words and their power that are harmful, that are hurtful, then you're revealing what the reality is in your heart. And here's the, here's the difficult thing about that. There are some struggles in our lives that as we grow older become less of a struggle for us. Their hold on us weakens. Scientists say this, looking at religious themes that they're throughout, that, that sexuality is one of those things that as you age, as you get older, it begins to wane. Um, a desire for power, a desire for, for, for to be known, to be to 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 make a name for yourself—that kind of fades as you get older. You kind of settle into who you are. But the one struggle that never fades as we get older—in fact, some studies suggest the older we get, the harder it becomes to control—is our tongue. People who get older oftentimes exhibit a sharper, more aggressive speech and tongue. When they're unable to physically do things or do, uh, get their way in some other physical way, then they will intimidate or manipulate or use words to attempt to make the situation right. What does that say about the depth of our heart? So I'm going to give you as we leave today three kind of suggestions in this area. James doesn't give us any suggestions. I'm going to kind of fill in from other places in Scripture and give you some three suggestions about how to handle the word you have. And these three words are this: simply this, to remember, surrender, and confess. Remember what we talked about today, that your words have weight. That you have the ability, the power to wield words, to benefit, to help, but you also have the ability to burn down. That we are born with a pilot light, a small candle light flickering always, and that light can be used to warm or it can be used to burn. Second word is surrender. Romans 12, 1 says to offer our bodies as living sacrifices. And that means literally offering your tongue, surrendering it to the Lord to be used by him. The truth is you cannot control your tongue. That's what it says in there. No one can control the tongue. No one has mastered it and you can't either. And so in order to get it under control, you have to surrender it to the Lord. Andy Stanley says that one of the prayers that he prays every morning is he prays literally that the Lord would take the parts of his body and use them for his glory. So he prays that the Lord would take his hands and make him useful to do the work that God's called him to do. That the Lord would take his feet and make him walk to the places that he's supposed to go for the glory of God. That the Lord would give him his eyes, that he would give the Lord his eyes to show him the things that he needs to see and watch as the day comes on. Ears to hear what he needs to hear. And then he says, always say, Lord, take my tongue today and use it for your glory. And then the last thing is, remember, surrender and confess. When you mess up, and you will, don't explain it away. Don't give excuses. Own the fires you have set. There are lots of ways that can happen. Using sarcasm that you think will get a laugh, but you realize hurts. Having critical thoughts and words that go on and on and you continue to be critical. Gossip, where you say things about people, they don't have a right to defend themselves. You're not completely sure they're true. Even if they are true, they're unhelpful in the situation, but you continue to tell people, then that is a place where you need to confess. Anger that comes out from you. The ability to anonymously criticize people. They anonymously say things about people. You confess. First of all, you confess to the Lord and then you ask for apologies excuse me, you apologize, you ask for forgiveness for those around you that you've hurt. Let me just say this to you as well, because this is an area that oftentimes is tied almost as much as any other we talk about to our past. And some of you in this room need to break the cycle that you were shown as a family member growing up or even in your current relationships. And you need to break the cycle of being responsive and saying things that are critical, things that are hurtful. Does it make right whatever was said to you, or whatever was talked about with you, that the words that were used, I'm not dismissing any of that. I'm not saying that it's difficult, not difficult to walk through. But what I'm saying is for the sake of your children and your grandchildren and the generations that are to come, break the cycle of the way you talk to one another. Some of you know this. Some of you remember the way your mom or dad talked to you and you've heard it come out when you've talked to your kids. Like where did that come from? Some of you have heard it and thought, I did." I thought I would never say that. Break the cycle. It's not going to be easy. In fact, this is something you may be inclined towards, but you pray and you surrender and you recognize and remember what God has given you. And you break the cycle. All of us have a flame inside of us every day we wake up in the morning, the pilot light's on, and the question is, are you going to use that pilot light to warm those that are around you, to encourage those that are around you, to be God's spokesperson to the ones that are around you? Or are you going to use that to burn down relationships, burn down careers, burn down things around you? And Maybe it's not all at once. Maybe it's a smoldering thing that over time you just continually decide to use words that you shouldn't use, and as you do, a big fire builds. How will you use the words that you've been given? Let's pray together.